join me and let's pray and as we come to God's word together this morning. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. And we don't worship the word, we worship the living word, Jesus Christ, today. We worship you, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And your word teaches us about you. It guides us towards you. It welcomes us to sit with you, to dine with you, to know you. And so may we hear that voice as we look at your word today. May you whisper into our ears truths that will transform us into the image of Christ. So elevate Christ and your word in this moment. Produce this preacher that we may give you all the glory and praise. We pray this in Jesus' name. Sometimes, some passages are hard to really live out. And if you weren't here last week, we, we talked in, in Philippians 2, verse 5. He says, you should have the same attitude as Jesus. And then he paints the picture of Jesus. If you were here, we celebrated communion, and, and we just focused on Christ, which is this hymn in verses 6 to 11, showing just what a magnificent Savior we have. He is... You know, doesn't regard equality with God as something to be grasped. You know, he becomes a, a slave. He is obedient even to death on a cross. And then all of a sudden God exalts him, super abundantly exalts him, lifts him up. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of God the Father. Beautiful picture. It's like, so how do we really live up to the great standard of Jesus Christ? Tough. Tough. But he'll get there. Because the very first words of verse, oh, sorry, uh, we're at verse 2, verse 12, I hope, maybe, <laughs> if you have your Bibles there, uh, it's chapter 2, verse 12 is where we're starting out. There we go, perfect, just, yeah, that was just the wrong reference, but no big deal. He says, so then, so then, so what? Well, in, in light of all this beautiful picture of Jesus Christ, humiliating, humbling himself, taking on human flesh, not exercising the, the advantages of his deity in order that he might die on the cross for our sins. God's exalted him. So then, he says, so then. This is what the consequence and the result is for you. He says, just as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence. He's like, you guys got this. Even though I, I'm sitting here in a prison in, in Rome and I'm writing to you and I visited you and, and you've continued on in your faith, I, I know you guys get this and you're living this, but, 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 just, just, but, but, but even more in my absence, you've continued this and then he gives them the command. Continue working out your salvation. And now, this is confusing for some people. Because they're like, isn't salvation a free gift of God's grace? Yeah. Absolutely. Unequivocally. You don't do anything to receive salvation. So what is he talking about here? I mean, none of, nothing in Philippians up to this point has talked about the, how you get saved or, or people getting saved. It, it's always, he's, he's speaking to people that are already believers. They're called saints. They're walking in relationship with Jesus Christ. They're doing the right things. But he said, keep working this out. He's not saying you have to work for your salvation. Or like some people think, it's like, it's like going and getting a car at the dealership, right? 
and they let you drive that car away, right? But you've signed these papers, and they own you because you don't own that car. And you keep paying it off, paying it off, paying it off, paying it off. You don't really own it. You drive it, you experience it, but, but you still have to pay it off. And, and some people think like, okay, God gave me this, but now I, I got to earn it, earn it, pay it off. To, you know, I owe him this debt. No, 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 no. The position you have in Christ is fully paid for by Jesus Christ on the cross. Nothing you do got you there. Nothing you do keeps you there. You got it from Jesus. It's a gift from him. But what's he talking about here? Working out your salvation. He's talking about the, 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 the reality of, of you possess something and now you want to experience the fullness of what you have. Like, one of the problems I have with technology is like, like my phone. I use it as a phone to call people, to receive calls. It's a phone to me. That's all it is for the most part but you know that it's more than a phone, right? I mean, there is more memory in this little thing than in the computers I used in college and seminary, right? I mean, I mean, you know, back in my day, right, if you wanted to listen to music in, in when I was younger, you had this thing called a Walkman. And then you upgraded to the Discman. And then another decade later, you got the MP3. Well, now you don't need any of those. Why? Because you have a phone. Your phone also enables you to have a calendar on there. It's a personal planner. Uh, most, many of you bank on your phone. It, 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 is, it is a way for you to do transactions. People can make like trades on the stock market on their phone. You can watch videos. You can take pictures. You don't need, I mean, Lisa and I like taking pictures. We have this big camera, lenses. We don't need that anymore. Why? Because we got a phone. The phone is also a camera. So you see, if I just have my phone and just use it as a phone, I am missing a whole host of, of opportunities and features that are, that, are, that are embedded within this tiny, annoying device that, that, that never lets you go, right? But, but you understand, this is salvation. God gives you a phone. And some people just use it as a phone. And God's like, don't you know there's some apps in there that could really help your life? Oh, yeah. It's the phone. That's all it is. He says, work, continue working out your salvation. Continue to move up and out in the new life that you have in Jesus Christ. Don't just experience the phone. Experience the music feature. Experience the video feature. Experience the video game feature. I used to have to go to an arcade and get quarters and play video games. Now I can do it right on my phone. God is inviting you to a whole lot more than just making and receiving phone calls. Do you get it? Work out your salvation. And he says to do this with awe and reverence. He's alluding to Old Testament here, I think, and to the New Testament, to the experiences of, of the early disciples with Jesus Christ. Whenever someone in the Bible encounters God, it's this frightful and yet exhilarating experience. Like suddenly you realize, whoo, I am in the presence of the Almighty. And it's like, wow, oh, wow. I'm, you know, am, am I going to survive this? Isaiah goes into the temple, he sees the Lord. He's like, well, no one sees God and lives. I'm dead. And God's like, no, you're not. Fear and trembling. 
Peter is fishing. Jesus is like, go out a little deeper, throw the net on the other side. Jesus, I haven't caught anything all night. It's the daytime fish don't bite during the day. They only bite at night. That's, you, know, you can't fish with nets during the day. And, but I'll do it. And he throws them out. Boom. You know, the, the boat almost sinks because there's so many fish. And he's like, what, is, what does Peter say to Jesus? Go away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. Awe and reverence. The holy God inhabits your life and our life corporately. Work out your salvation with awe and reverence. We are treading on the holy ground of God's holy presence as we gather together and as we live out our faith as followers and believers in Jesus Christ. He's not talking about you keeping your salvation, working hard to to maintain something that God gave you in the beginning. No, he's just saying, God gave you this. Now really figure it out and enjoy it and experience it at the highest level possible. Fear and reverence. But then he tells us an interesting piece there in verse 13. For the one bringing forth in you both the desire and the effort for the sake of his good pleasure is God. Like, so it's weird. So work it out. But by the way, guess who's working in you as you work it out? God is. It's sort of this partnership. We take a step and God is, is helping us all along. And so there's this divine partnership. It is a mystery. I can't explain it to the full extent, but I know that, that when you take steps of faith, having come to faith and you believe in Jesus and then you're walking in this relationship, as you take steps of faith, God is stepping with you. He's building in you the desire and the strength and the effort. The word there is like energizo. It's like he's energizing you. Like, I don't know how to use that app. But then as you begin to use it, oh, I figure it out. God's like, just, just, just download it and try. And then suddenly it's working. Oh, I've taken a step. I'm experiencing something about in my relationship with God that I didn't experience before. I'm moving forward. And he's like, God is creating in you the desire and the effort. You don't have to drum up that energy on your own, but many times we're tempted to like, oh, I, I got to create the energy. I got to create the desire. I got to create the effort. But he's like, work out your salvation. And guess what? God's working in you as you're working it out. Wonderful partnership. It's like a dance. And we're not stepping on each other's feet, but we're, we're, we're doing the steps together. Beautiful picture of what it means to experience salvation and move up and out in new life. In Jesus Christ. And so he lays that foundation. Work out your salvation. God's working in you. He's giving you desire. And then he says, and here's a very practical way that you do that. Verse 14. We should all memorize this verse. Okay, let's read it together. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. It's not a very long verse. You maybe should put this on your mirror in your bathroom. (laughs) the dash of your car, maybe on your desk in the office or on the shop or your toolbox, whatever you do. Do everything. That word actually means everything. (laughs) There is no exceptions allowed for this verse. Okay? So here we are. Guess what? Every one of us failed this this week, didn't we? (laughs) Let's be honest, right? We're Canadians. It is ingrained in our DNA to complain, right? You know what happens in the Lord Minster in the wintertime? It's so cold. Oh, so much snow. And then in the summer it gets hot. Oh, it's so hot. No, no, no. You know, oh, it's so rainy. Oh, it's so dry. It's so this. It's so that. When we get tired of the weather, then we start complaining about politicians, the economy, gas prices, our bodies falling apart. There's never any shortage of things to complain. 
then you come into the church and you can really start complaining about other people and arguing and, and insisting on being right. And, and see, this is so antithetical to the nature of Christ who humbled himself and took the lowest place and died on the cross for us. And then we come in and say, I'm right. I demand that I be right. I'm going to complain. I'm going to argue, right? You know, you don't want to invite, uh, oh, sorry, this kind of comes from the, New, the Old Testament. I got a picture here of the, uh, I think there's a picture there. There we go. This is, this is sort of an artist's rendition of the book of Numbers. As God has led the Israelites out of Egypt and they're moving towards the promised land, they've seen his power. They've walked through the dry ground on the Red Sea. They've seen, you know, they, they, they put the blood over their doorposts. God delivered their, their firstborn, the other firstborn that didn't die. I mean, God has demonstrated his power and his strength and his ability to provide for them. And they get out in the wilderness and what do they do? They complain, they argue, they complain, they argue, they grumble. Backroom conversations, parking lot meetings, meh, 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 meh. and what happens? They always get in trouble. A couple of families decided that they didn't like the leadership that God had put in place. And what does God say? Okay, everybody, get away from those guys. What? The earth opens up, swallows them up. It's a serious story. So here's it. Don't be like those guys. I have another picture here. You don't want to invite these people to your party, right? Mr. Grumble, right? Or the next one, uh, Mr. Grumpy. Yeah, you know, like, like, let's be honest, right? Like, you can vent to your friends. And the, the final one here, uh, Mr. Argue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like, it's okay to vent to your friends. But the person that is a chronic complainer, a chronic grumbler, a chronic arguer, they just drive people away. When you're making up your party list, they, like, you, you scratch those names off. You're like, man, they will destroy the party. Because they, they, they don't bring unity. They don't bring joy. They don't bring happiness. And it destroys the unity of mission in a church. Satan loves churches that argue and complain. Full of people that are bitter you know, selfish and want their way. They're, they're waiting for the worship guy to get off the stage so they can complain about the songs that she or he chose. And they're waiting for the pastor to get down so they can, they can criticize his translation that he chose for the sermon. And, and they're just waiting, waiting, waiting. And some people think that you need to feed these people, appease these people. And they're like seagulls, I think, right? Like, you're, okay, the seagull's really annoying me. I'm gonna throw him a piece of my sandwich, right? What does he do? He goes and he finds three of his friends and he comes back, rah, rah, Mine, 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 mine. You know, and, and you feed all them, and then suddenly there's 20 of them, and then there's 30 of them, and you're like, oh, this is like a bad Alfred Hitchcock movie. Like, ah, you know, we can't feed the complainers or the whiners, the arguers, no. Do everything without arguing or complaining. I don't get this right all the time. I wish I did. I think it's a sign of maturity get to that place where you can really do this. But it is the heart of Christ lived out in community. That doesn't mean we don't debate and, and discuss and, and disagree about things. That, and there's a healthy way to do that. It's fine. To have dialogue and disagreement is okay if it's done in an appropriate manner. But the complainer and the arguer and 
They just bring in, and what happens is it distracts from the mission. What is the mission? To share Christ with the, with the whole world, right? I've seen the whole denominations just get sidetracked, sidetracked because there's some petty theological thing or, or social issue that everyone wants to discuss and debate. And what happens? The gospel train just grinds to a halt. And the, and the group is discussing and debating and, and and they've forgotten that actually there's a mandate, a mission from Jesus to go and make disciples. No, no, we're going to figure out this issue over here. Do everything without arguing, grumbling, or complaining. I wish we could get this, but it's sort of like that, you know, the home on the range, right? Where never is heard a discouraging word, right? You know, are, are, we, are we that place? I hope so. But there's an application point for you this week. Can you get through the week without grumbling or arguing? In the human nature, we want to be right. We want to, we want to be proven to, you know, we want to get our point across. We, you know, we feel, you know, like we've, we've been harmed by someone else. And, and this is so natural in the, in the human, the sinful part of our nature to do this. But I challenge you to, can you make it from tonight until next Sunday without grumbling or arguing one? If God's working in you, he will help you, but it's going to be a challenge because it's innate. But then he, he goes on. So the result of this in verse 15 is so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God without blemish. He's like, guess what? God's children don't argue and complain. They, they have this blameless character. That word is used to describe, um, you know, when you made wine. Sometimes people would make wine and then they would add water to it. They would dilute it. But blameless wine was wine that had not been diluted. It's a jeweler's term. When, when, you, when you brought that ring to the jeweler and he looked at it and he said, yeah, this is blameless. That means it's, it's pure gold. It's not a tiny film of layer over top of some alloy or whatever. No, it's, it's pure, blameless. Blameless and pure, this means unadulterated, of the highest quality, children of God without blemish. And that term, which of course describes the, these animals they would bring in for sacrifice in the Old Testament. And, and you were to bring in an animal without defect. So you didn't go to the flock and find the one with ringworm, you know, scours, or, you know, the, the, you know, the, the droopy eye, or, you know, the cut-off ear. I mean, you took one that had no defects whatsoever. And that was to be sacrificed. You will be this, this like unblemished sacrifice, even though you live in a crooked and perverse society in which you shine as lights in the world. Now, this is a run-on sentence, verses 14 to 16, so he, he keeps adding these superlatives to it, but he's like, reality is, do nothing with arguing and complaining. Why? Because you want to be blameless, pure, children of God without blemish, because you live in this world that, that doesn't fit his picture. Philippians understood this. In Philippi, it would be very common for you to go and to offer your incense to Caesar. Caesar is Lord. And then you could go worship whatever your own pig, tribal deity was. But for a Christian, it's like, no, no, there is one Lord. Jesus is Lord, so I can't do that. Certain trade guilds had their own trade God. And if you be, became a, a believer in Jesus Christ, you, you, you declared your absolute loyalty to him. You could no longer participate in those trade guild you know, parties and sacrifices. And, and, and so, so there, there, was, there was challenging. 
the ethics weren't always above board because you're kind of paying off this guy so that he can pay off this guy and you can elevate your status. And, and suddenly you come in and say, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be integral. I'm going to tell the truth. And, and you find that, man, I don't really fit in here. He says, you live in this crooked and perverse society. And some of you, you feel that. You walk into the shop and you hear the, words and you see the lifestyles and you you look online and you just and you see the news and you're like man the, things are just going so wonky but he's like but you shine as light into this world we used to sing that song it's the light of mine i'm gonna let it shine you know it's like hide it under a bushel no i'm gonna let it shine right and then we would say, you know, don't let Satan it out. I'm going to let it shine, right? I mean, I mean, we sing that song, but, you know, we maybe forget that, that we're here to shine into this messed up world. He's like, yeah, Philippi needs, needs the grace of God through Jesus Christ. So you're shining in there, you guys. But when you're arguing and complaining, guess what? It's like you're throwing mud on your headlights. You're not shining very clearly. I mean, people that don't go to church, people that don't follow Jesus, people that haven't quite made that step yet, when they hear about Christians fighting, they're just like, why would I waste my time going and hanging out with those critical, bitter, complaining, arguing people? And why would they? They shouldn't. But if we follow the example of Christ, it's something different. We're God's children. We're without blemish. We're blameless and pure. And, 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 and we're shining our lights. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. People do not light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light into all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before people so that they can see your good deeds and give honor to your Father in heaven. In the book of Ephesians, Paul says, you were one time in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Jesus said, verse John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. The one who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You shine into this messed up world. And he actually is saying that to us together. You, all y'all, shine into this world together. Constable tells a story about this lady that went to her pastor, and she's like, you know, I'm really having a hard time living my faith out in this tough situation. Like, it's so dark. The people, I mean, you know, it's just, you know, their language and their ethics and their morals and nah, 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 nah. And, he, and he's like, well, well, where do you use a light? Where is a light most useful? Well, in the darkness. She's like, oh. So it's because it's so dark that God put me there. And so she changed her perspective and began to, to just live out her faith and share her faith when an opportunity would come. And lo and behold, 13, of her co-workers believed in Jesus Christ through her testimony. You shine as lights in the world. I have a picture here, actually, of um, stars. You know, it's like your stars in the universe, right? The stars were put there to guide us, and, and the sun and the moon, it, it, it provides for us, and we are put here for a purpose, not to, to bring our own light, but to help others discover the light. It says, walk in the light. Why? So that others can. And of course, in the Old Testament, as I have a picture there, I also have a, the, the visual here. There's another, there we go. So I actually have one here for, for those of you present in the room here. The golden lampstand. In the tabernacle of the Old Testament, this sat 
inside the tabernacle, and it was to be lit at all times. And, and it was a reminder that they, as God's people, had the light and the truth of life in their midst. And anyone could come and convert to, and, and to believe and, and become a God-fearer and, and worship the one and true God. And it was, a, it was a continual reminder of God's presence and of God's truth. They had been charged with the responsibility of disseminating the God had given to them in the crooked and perverse generation in which they lived. And, and we too are, the, are, are an extension of that. God's living presence is here, just like it was in the tabernacle. It's here. You shine in a dark and a crooked world. And he continues. Oh, now, now notice, like you, you're placed there. You're intentionally there. You don't hide from the world. You, you, you go into it and, and you share the message. This is the whole theme of, of the book of Philippians. And then he says there in the next verse, in verse 16, by holding onto the word of life, or holding out, literally could be translated, by holding out, holding forth the word of life. So the day of Christ, I will have reason to boast. I did not run or labor in vain. He's like, you are holding out this light just like I did to you. You continue to do that to others. We're sharing this message. This is the whole purpose. But guess what? When you're arguing and complaining, you're not doing that. But, but when you don't argue and complain and you stay focused on the mission of Jesus and you're living out that blameless, you know, pure life and, and, and there you're holding forth the word of life. And it's like, because at the end of my life, I want to know that, that, that the investment I, I had in you was worthwhile. Didn't run in vain. Got a picture here of a runner. Can you imagine being the coach of a, a world-class athlete? Maybe a runner. You've, you've trained them to run the 3,000, the 5,000, the marathon, whatever it is. And they're running, they're running, and you know, they're doing everything you've coached them. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the race, they just quit. They pull off, and they went into a bakery, and they start buying cream danishes and stuff. Like, what are you doing? And they find some deep-fried, you know, stand on the side of the road, and they're having, you know, all this hoagies and stuff that is just going to, you know, kill their body. Like, what are you doing? I'm just done. Forget it. I want to do my own thing now. And, and as a coach, you'd be like, are you serious? Paul's like, I've coached to this point. I don't want to waste. I want to see that what I've done is worthwhile. Holding forth the word of life. So on the day of Christ, I will have reason to boast that I did not run in vain, nor labor in vain. And then he ends in verse 17. But even if I am poured out like a drink offering. Now, of course, in, in the ancient world, they would often have like a, a libation, which, you know, they would sacrifice something, take the blood. The blood was symbolic of the life of the animal, and they would pour it out on the ground. It was a symbolic that, yeah, this life was, had, been, had, been, had been served its purpose. It was over. He's like, my life is coming to an end, and, 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 it's, and, and it's, it's imminent. Even if I do die, I can rejoice, and I will rejoice with all the reality about following Jesus is it will be a pouring out experience for you at some point. 
The problem the Philippians had that we all have is you enter this life and you walk with Jesus and then life gets tough and you start wondering, has God let me down here along the line somewhere? Why am I experiencing this hardship, this difficulty, this pressure, this trial? That was the whole problem the Israelites had. They get to the wilderness like, come on, God, aren't you, is this supposed to be easier and better? And now you're, you're forcing us to live by faith and to trust you and we just want it our way. And, and he's like, just trust me. I just led you through a sea. Drown the Egyptian chariots behind you. Don't you think I can handle your feeding, your watering, your, 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 your clothes, your whatever? I mean, I got this, God says. Oh, we're going to complain. We're gonna. He's like, you know, like, but, but they're bringing forward out. The example of Christ in Philippians 2, 5 to 8 is him pouring himself out for us. As we believe in charge. Christ and then begin to follow him. Moving up and out is a pouring out experience. And as the girls discussed on, on Wednesday in the ladies' Bible study, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, right? This is a reality. You will die as Christ's life takes over your life. It's pain. It's eviscerating. It is like being poured out. And Paul's like, yeah, I had a good thing going as a Pharisee. I had a pretty good thing going as a church leader, but I kept following Jesus, and now I'm sitting in a prison, chained to a, to, a, to a, not another prisoner, but chained to a, a you know, a Roman, a, you know, guard. I'm not doing what I wanted to be doing, but I'm, I'm just, I'm just dying here because I'm just doing what God wants me to do. Less of Paul, more of Christ. says in verse 18, in the same way, you also should be glad and rejoice together with me. Pentecost is paraphrased like this. I want you to find your joy in that in which I've found my joy, the joy of selfless sacrifice for the good of those you love in Christ. And then he's going to give us a couple examples of that. He's like, I'm the, number, I'm the first example, but there's, there's Timothy, there's Epaphroditus. You guys can do this. I want you to find your joy in that in which I've found my joy, the joy of selfless sacrifice for the good of those you love in Christ, those who have yet to come to Christ, and those who have come to Christ. Selfless sacrifice. Selfish person will complain, will argue, will grumble. But the Christ-filled person will put those aside as he and she or she pursues the mission of God and, and the calling of unity and fellowship and partnership in the gospel. Moving up and out together in new life in Jesus Christ. That's what he's invited us to. This text just reminds us, right? And we, we can hinge it right on that, that verse 14. You know, we'll do everything without grumbling or arguing. But he's like, be the children of God. Embrace your identity. And rejoice. We need a little more joy in our world. Let's be, let's be honest, right? You're going to get some joy in, in a month or two, right? Christmas joy, right? We always have a little joy around Christmas. But, but this perpetual joy that just lives in your life all the time, no matter what's happening, right? Go to the doctor. 
doctor, he's like, well, you got cancer. I'm still got joy, right? You go to the bank, oh, your, 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 you know, your, your count is empty. I still got joy, you know? Things happen. I still got joy. You get, you know, you hit a deer with your car. I still got joy. Why? Because your joy is not dependent on any of those things. It's, it's about Jesus. And the mindset of Christ brings us to this place of joy and fellowship with each other in joy. And so I know there's, there's, there's something in there for you this week. That verse 14 is, is the challenge, I think. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. So hard. But with God's help, we can do it. Team, would you come up and we're going to lead us in, in the final song. And If you don't know Christ as your Savior, of course, none of this stuff really makes sense. It doesn't really work. But you can believe in Jesus. The Gospel of John is really clear. Believing in Jesus Christ gives you God's promise of eternal life. And having received that gift, then you can begin to work out your salvation. You don't work for it. You don't earn it. You don't get it through anything you've done, but you simply believe in Jesus, and that gives you God's gift. But then he's like, hey, I've given you the phone. It doesn't just make and receive calls. It doesn't. There's a whole lot more in there. Come and experience it, God says. I want you to know me, to walk with me, to discover me. Not just have a phone that you can call and receive and, and make calls, but there's so much more. I've given you everything. It's right here. But let's move up and out together in new life in Jesus Christ. Team, would you lead us? It's light this week. May the Lord guide you. May you shine forth in every place in which you go for his glory, for his honor. Pray, Lord, for tonight, for the worship gathering here, that it would be a meaningful time as the youth focus on you together. I pray for Alpha that will meet here tomorrow night. And all the activities, the home groups, the studies that will go on this week, Lord. And in the workplaces where we are, the sports fields and gyms where we play, the places where we do commerce and business, oh, Lord, may we bring your light that Christ might be glorified. Pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, God bless you.